Hello, tech enthusiasts and food lovers. Welcome to the Gisto Tech Podcast, where we're going to talk about some of the latest developments in Gisto, as well as discussing news in the tech and food industries. For any new listeners, Gisto is a recipe kit delivery company which provides evening meals for the nation, where you get to have all the fun of cooking your own amazing meals with all the exact quantities of food you need. As always, I am your host, Joe Cooper. I am a data scientist in the menu tribe of Gisto. So I build algorithms and reports that help decide which meals will make it onto the menu week to week. And I'm joined today by Josh Rafford, one of our lead software engineers. Hello, Josh. Could you introduce yourself, please? Hey, Joe. How's it going? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Josh. Uh, I work on the same team as Joe, um, pretty <laughs> much, but um, more in the software engineering side. So I'm the lead software engineer in our team called Kimchi, uh, where we do indeed focus on um, menu planning and um, creating the menus with the best variety for our customers. Yeah, I, I felt like I, I didn't know if I should introduce myself as, oh, and I'm also going to be interviewing someone who's in my team today. But I want that consistency for the listeners, you know, so that they know it's the same person talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure they'd be really worried otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I wonder if I should also mention uh, the weather as well, because I think I've done that in like almost every episode. But the weather's pretty good today, so there we go. There's the... It's nice. Yeah, it's nice, actually. <laughs> Although this, this, I mean, the thing with podcasts is they never live, are they? So, um, you know, we, it might just sound like we're bragging if we're saying the weather's nice today and it's <laughs> raining on the day this comes out. But That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, so um, how, what exactly do Kimchi do? Or what does your side of Kimchi do, the software engineering side do? So, yeah, I mean... The software engineering, we've only really been a squad in terms of software engineering um, as well as data science on your side, Joe, for maybe about six months now um, when we started. So um, before we started, there was already this um, algorithm that um, data science side of the team built around generating the best menu. Um, but we're just trying to productionize that a little bit more as well as taking in the existing sort of menu planning process. So how do you know, combining that sort of human interaction and how the best menus are, are built with sort of the power of data science uh, and software engineering to try and improve that process um, and uh, around creating better menus. Um, so we've been building some internal tools that allow a menu planner to come along and put inputs into generating a menu, um, give them more information around which menus they should be picking on each individual week um, how those menus are likely to perform against being, you know, the, the, have the best variety for our customers, but also around, you know, cost saving and uh, everything else that's important to the business as well. Um, and, you know, we're building multiple views. We're building, we're sort of gathering data from lots of different areas um, to uh, keep on finding ways to improve uh, the menus and to flag basically when there's any issues with the menus as well. So for example, if, ingredient costs go up in the background after a menu's planned, we should be flagging to the menu planners to say, hey, this needs some attention here. Um, something's changed in the background, which means the menu isn't performing as well as it was. Um, so there's about an eight week period there from the time they we choose what's gonna be on the menu to when it goes live for the customers and a lot can change in that time. So it's trying to juggle all those different um, <clears throat> moving moving factors, I guess. Yeah, it's it's interesting, like how things have changed as well since we've added software engineering. So, like as as you've said, 
we probably the, the kimchi squad itself was a different squad beforehand and we were predominantly data science and we did maybe 60 percent of what you're describing uh, as a data science team like we would help generate menus and we would help like flag um, issues with various things such as like whether there was enough variety that week or whether costs has uh, risen too much or you know things like this so it's, it's really interesting going from that which is probably almost two years ago now maybe a year and a half ago and then six months what was this maybe seven or eight months ago we got loads of software engineers in who were going to build this this new tool it's been really interesting like having a team that was data science and has now got software engineers in it because i think the opposite way around is often true you often have a team mm. that then has data scientists sent to it yeah yeah how have you kind of found like in inheriting practices from from people who definitely don't practice software engineering <laughs> yeah it's been interesting i guess there's you know there, there is a bit of a um invisible line between us um in terms of what we're building and uh you know we, we've spent a lot of time you know well, a fair amount of time over the last few months sort of defining our ways of working and trying to really think about what counts as you know, what, what's in data science's remit, what's in software engineering remit in terms of sort of building APIs around some of these models and passing data around and to productionize how we get data into our systems to create sort of source, you know, the, the real source of truth. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting to, to sort of join that team. And I've worked loosely with data science before, but not in a way where it's so core to the product we're building, mm. um, you know, Obviously, not everything we're building is completely ingrained in the, the, the algorithms and the data science side of it, but it, it is the main, it's, it's our main sort of USP as a, a team, I guess, um, yeah. that we can generate. We can, we can, you know, we're, we're enhancing and trying to build things that no human can really do in terms of processing the amount of data to really try to work out what the, what the best menu is. And that's mm. so important when we sort of start scaling the business and we start, you know, trying to increase the number of recipes on our menu and, increase the number of ingredients we store as a company you know these these things that take maybe you know three days as a human now I mean I'm just guessing that you know <laughs> as these numbers numbers increase just the, the time goes up exponentially so the more we can introduce automation into some of these processes between the two um the better um but yeah uh, it's so so from my point of view really loving so sort of working working so closely with data science having that sort of power to do things that you know wouldn't really even envisage doing before when I was just in teams of software engineering. You know, I, I know I'm learning more and more about what, what the capabilities of our team as a whole have, and that allows you to sort of think bigger in terms of um, solutions for really complicated problems. Mm. Do you think that you've kind of changed your uh, immediate ways of working, kind of like what what you expect of software engineers because of being in a data science? driven team yeah i think there's definitely aspects of that and mainly around what i was sort of just sort of saying there in terms of the way you know i think about mm. the way we work but also the way we come up with solutions as well um you know software engineering is very sort of functional in the sense of you know you you have inputs and outputs and you do some sort of processing on on data but you you I've rarely had an opportunity to think about things on such scale as we do, where yeah. we're, you know, think some of the things that data science is doing around you know, taking in you know, th thousands of different potential menus each week. Um, 
probably more uh, than that to be honest <laughs> yeah i mean you, you you tell me but i think it's quite interesting and obviously in terms of the, the tech as well um there is a bit of a line in terms of the technology we use because you know you guys do a lot of your data science um coding using python uh, we're using a lot of node on our back end um in javascript and react on the, on the front end so there is um you know the languages aren't a, you know so different you couldn't they couldn't understand each other for the for, for the developers who haven't worked on the other one before but there is almost we still do have a bit of a divide there in terms of we're not constantly jumping into each other's code bases because not only yeah. is it a sort of a different way of thinking but there is a there is a sort of a slight programming language barrier there as well yeah i'm sure it's capable I do. Um, I think that there's like I've worked in teams before, obviously, where there's been software engineers and data scientists in the same team. But I've always before Gusto worked in teams where it was probably, you know, 90 percent software engineering and, you know, just me in data science generally. Um, and it's interesting because you definitely see a difference in the way you solutionize. So, like, I think that data scientists often come up with a solution where an understanding of all of the data is always readily available, if you know what I mean. So like mm. the, there's a lot of, you'll probably notice in some of our work where like this algorithm feeds into this algorithm and they all use the same data and this one needs this data from this place and this one needs data from this place. And like in some ways it can be quite a complex like uh, web of <laughs> algorithm building. Um, and obviously like I notice that's kind of allowed in our team at the moment. Like we try to mitigate it. And I think that's one of the great things about having the software engineers opinions, because you guys, I think are really good at looking at problem and going, okay, but do we actually need that bit? And can we actually kind of like streamline it here? Um, but it's been, I definitely think in previous teams, it's been even more brutal where it's just been like, okay, we're not going to do that. You, your, the limits that you have are, I have X and it wants Y and you have to just, put something in between those two things rather than having, you know, quite complex data added into the algorithm. Um, but yeah, I think that's been really interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's a really good point. And I guess it depends on the, um, what the team are striving to achieve as well, because you understand it from a data science point of view, if you're really just trying to you know, cr crunch data or crunch a lot of numbers and trying to get results and, of, and data you can store, to be read internally, it's one thing, but then when you're trying to build it into, as a part of a productionized system, you've got to be a little bit more strict around, okay, you know, we, we've got to trust what the outputs from this algorithm, we've got to, you know, we've got to really understand what it's doing and we've got to understand what happens if there's, you know, errors and all this kind of thing, which I think was all there with what you were building beforehand, but obviously there's a slight different mindset when you start saying, this is a service within a productionized system. Um, yeah, I mean, before than... we could just run it locally. We, we would literally run the algorithm that produces the menus on our local machine and then hand over the potential menus to the food team like by Excel or something. That's, that's what mm. we did way back in the day, before, way before you guys. So I think things have come a long way since then because now at least everything can be operated by the food team themselves. They kind of have this this tool all themselves but yeah that yeah that, I, that's what it was like <laughs> i think that's a good thing to touch on as well in terms of what you know what our team's done in the last sort of six months is you know we, it was quite basic before in terms of a lot of the menu planning's process was just all in spreadsheets yeah. multiple spreadsheets and spreadsheets connected to other spreadsheets and 
they had this algorithm that you had that ran in the middle, which output, which then they could input to other spreadsheets. But <laughs> the process was around and they had some legacy systems where they were inputting the recipe on a menu kind of at the end of the process one by one. But what we've done by productionizing it is meaning that there's a sort of single source of truth throughout the whole menu planning process where you always know from sort of the day a menu is planned, this will be what the menu, this is what the menu will be in eight weeks time if nothing changes. But you have all that, those metrics and those targets um, processing throughout those weeks to, to give feedback. But it's not like take it out of a spreadsheet, do a bit of work on it, and put it back into a, a piece of software. It's hopefully a, a sort of a, one 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 stop shop for um viewing menus and and trying to know everything you need to know about menus so yeah and i think yeah. it is necessary because um you know things change so rapidly when it comes to the this whole space because you know we get cost changes all the time and like the way in which what we can actually give out in the factories how much the factories can actually produce you know it changes and and circumstances change so i think we need this kind of source of truth for us to actually improve things and and kind of move forwards so it is definitely like a mm. big goal that i think gusto has <laughs> yeah and it's so that making sure that you know as we grow as well you know we're introducing more teams more squads that are doing different things and they need to we need to make sure that the data that each team's responsible for and the data that we're each team's producing can be trustworthy by other teams as well so you know the fact that we're producing you know the data for what what is on a menu should be trusted uh, we work in a throughout gusto we're trying to work in a completely event driven way um and each team should be interfacing with each other basically just by consuming events that other teams are publishing uh and what that means is each team can work quite independently of each other, but hopefully trust the um, the data they're getting from each other team that they can bring that into a productionized system as well and rely mm. on that rather than you know rather than passing things through and saying, well, is this the latest data or is the is the spreadsheet version the latest data? And you know, it's <laughs> it means everyone's a little bit behind in terms of um, the data they need as well. Yeah, I think I think spreadsheets are the bane of every data scientist and data engineers and software engineers' existence. To be honest, <laughs> I think they cause problems basically everywhere. Yeah, um, I mean it's 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 great for when companies are starting um, to quickly, you know, yeah, of course, get it down. But um, <laughs> not great, not great in production. <clears throat> um, I was wondering as well, kind of how have you found kind of building a team at Gusto? I know a few of the people within software engineering team were hired kind of at the same time as you, so you didn't get a huge say, but obviously you've been pretty instrumental in then pulling that team together and producing something from it. How have you kind of found that experience? Yeah, I think it's been it's been a really interesting experience. As, as you mentioned, I was sort of the first software engineer hire for the team. Uh, and then within probably about six weeks, we had a team of five uh, engineers. So most of those, I wasn't involved in the hiring process. You know, most of those were in motion before I joined. Um, but, you know, having said that, it's still, it's still quite, for anyone who's started, you know, built up a team from scratch, there's still a lot to think about in terms of you know, defining ways of working, um, getting a shared understanding between different developers of how they've worked previously or how they want to work on this team or how they think things should work. 
um, you know, just getting people generally set up, understanding Gusto and the domain of Gusto and understanding how we do things here. Um, um, and just, you know, creating a, doing enough discovery up front to have a, a backlog of work. So there's a lot of weeks when you first start a team where you need to think about, well, what are we actually building? What are we actually focusing on? We don't want to, yeah. we don't want to dive in too quickly because we'll probably end up building something that's actually not fit for purpose. So, um, so going from, yeah, you know, going from zero to five engineers in the short space of time we did, I think it was a big challenge to work out. Let's get this, let, let's make sure we're not wasting any resource and time here. Let's make sure we're making the most of the, of the, the team we've built as quickly as possible and uh yeah it was a bit it was a bit hectic for a while um <laughs> but uh it's all good and the obviously the big difference between teams i've uh managed in the past is this is sort of the first post-pandemic team uh i've had to sort of work yeah. on where everything is 100 percent remote which makes things so much harder in terms of team building and bonding and ways of working it's 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 really tricky um do you think because i i mean i i don't know but i i would have thought some things would be easier and some things would be harder but do you think it's just the kind of like getting the the more personal connection with the team that's like more difficult yeah that's really what i'm referring to there's obviously pros and cons to remote working in, in general but yeah. i think in terms of hiring and yeah getting that sort of team connection um you know it's much easier to, to get to know people by going to the pub after work on a on, on a thursday and actually chatting mm. about real real things and obviously within our team we've made a, a, a extra efforts to have you know end of day catch-ups and and um a few other in between meetings to socialize and talk about non-work related subjects but it's much not that we've had this problem but i know it's it's much easier to misunderstand each other in a working environment if you don't understand each other on a personal level as well mm. um and, and you, can, you can be you can be more forgiving and more honest probably with colleagues that you know on that deeper level uh, and it's quite hard to establish when it's everything's just over webcam um yeah, I see what you mean. We we I get I think we have kind of at times struggled to it's harder to push people into going into some of the like social events. Not that we need to well, you would hope you wouldn't need to push people, but I think that yeah, when when you're in the office, it's pretty easy, isn't it? Because it's just, you know, it's the end of the day and just like, oh, should we just catch up? Should we just go to pub or whatever? But you know, when people are at home, it's pretty convenient to just turn your laptop off. And you know, go about your day, which is which is great in loads of ways. But also, I think, yeah, it does lead to this situation where we don't know people quite as well personally. Mm. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think that side of things is always going to be tricky. But hopefully, we do, and we are already seeing it now. You know, we're going back into a little bit more of a dual world where we are mainly working from home, but we can we can meet up for socials and obviously we have as a team met up for socials two or three times now and been into the office a few times, um, you know, with maybe only half the team, but it's still an opportunity to get that feeling of um, being a team again. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. And I think that has made a difference. I don't know how you felt about since you've started going back into the office, even if it's one day a week. 
I have enjoyed it. Yeah, it is. It's nice. It's a good change of scenery. I found a good way to kind of like enjoy uh, seeing everyone and meetings are actually slightly funner when you're in person. And yeah, I have enjoyed mm. it a lot more. Yeah, it's good. Um, a perfect segue from uh, getting to know people personally. I wanted to ask you about your personal life a little bit with uh, <laughs> your previous career in a band or, you know, your kind of side career as a, in a band. Yeah. So uh, my understanding, because I do know you personally, Josh. You're in the band I Divide, right? That's what it's called. I Divide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I played in that band for uh, how many years was it? Probably about eight years um, through from about the age of 17, 18. Um, and was kind of working as a software engineer at the same time. Which, um, you know, I, I got my first job as a software engineering engineer. I started it just after my 18th birthday working for the Met Office. But I was already in sort of my my love was music and I was obviously 18 mm. and it was it was it was very much of a balancing act of obviously I wanted to be a rock star and obviously I wanted <laughs> to play in a band. Yeah. And yeah. doing soft doing software engineering was a great way to you know make a bit of money on the side. Um and luckily they were very understanding and they were very supportive of sort of my music and gave me loads of extra time off uh which I definitely shouldn't have had with um <laughs> just had to do a bit of extra pleading and a little bit of extra begging to get but um it worked out but yeah I um I kind of did some pretty big festivals style. as well yeah so we did um we played Reading and Leeds Festival we did Downard Festival a couple of times uh we did some small tours around Europe a couple of times um we toured with some we toured with funeral for a friend for a month which is one of our our big tours for people who know them um uh-huh. and yeah a few a few other sort of semi-known bands but yeah we were we were doing we were doing we were doing quite well it's sort of um i mean we had years of um you know doing like a, a tour of scotland i'd do it with um air quotes there <laughs> uh, which is which is us basically driving us basically driving like you know 10 11 hours up to scotland to turn up to a, a pub where they no one who was there really knew we were supposed to be playing and playing in front of about three <laughs> three locals <laughs> it's been like who booked who booked us this gig like it's uh um but yeah we did we did we did build up to having a pretty good place and you know um, yeah you seem to have quite a lot of views on spotify and so on there seems to be quite a lot going on there yeah see all, all, you know, now now it's been promoted on this podcast you know that it might <laughs> yeah exactly again. the, the and, music uh, going up again <laughs> i think we should do a crossover i think you should sing a song about the podcast that would really help yeah i mean <laughs> uh, unfortunately you know the, the band's not together anymore otherwise i definitely would have uh, done that i'll produce <laughs> oh, you know maybe maybe i'll uh, yeah produce you a, a little a little song i've got a key, i've got i've got a key i've got a keyboard behind me uh, that you might be able to see, but um, I've only been learning to play the keyboard properly for about a month. So this is going to um, be your next. It band. would probably be bad. Are you going to play the keyboard in your next band then? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, are you musically talented in any way? Not in any way, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll how's your rapping you want... skills? I could maybe rap, but yeah, I don't know if it'd go that great. I could be a cheerleader at least, you know. <laughs> okay, someone yeah. like that groupie you know someone to help with the van whatever 
I could do that. Sure, <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll keep you in mind. <laughs> so how, um, how did you? So I, I cut you off before while you think you were about to answer this question. But how did you actually find kind of like managing your time between doing a career that you know is is relatively stable and doing a career that's really awesome but not stable? <laughs> yeah, it was it was. It was tricky at times. Uh, like I say, the, I, I worked for the Met Office and they were really um, supportive. Um, I think because, you know, when I joined the Met Office, I was 18. So, mm. and, you know, the average, the average age of the, the Met Office is probably about 65. Um, that's a slight over-exaggeration. <laughs> but, at the same, but at the same time, I did feel so much younger than everyone else. And I think everyone, everyone saw me as a little bit of, you know, um, they had some responsibility of me treating me as like the, the, the child of the, the Met Office at the time. So I, I think I think they all had sympathy for me and all play, playing a slight sort of parental role in uh, making sure I could sort of follow my dreams as well as sort of um, work, work. But, you know, I, I worked hard. Um, I, I, you know, did the job to my, the best of my abilities. I may have been just found it slightly distracting from time to time, thinking about, um, you know, writing music and touring and, there were a few d- days where I'd finish work, uh, you know, on like a Wednesday night and then drive three hours to a gig, play a gig, drive oh, back, wow. get home at like 2.30 <laughs> in the morning and get, get up the next day. And actually, pretty much, I was living with my bandmates at the time and we were um, we were pretty much coming home from work every day and then writing into sort of midnight and then sleeping and repeat. And that, that was... That was that was five or six days a week we were sort of doing that. So oh wow, it's it's it was really like doing two full time jobs. Schedule. Yeah, wow. Yeah, um, so we were living and breathing it, and um, but you know I I was really appreciative of having something stable like software engineering um, from that early age as well because you know a lot of my bandmates didn't have that kind of support and they were you know they were just not getting approval for holidays to go on tours going off on tour, coming back to find that they'd been fired whilst they were being gone and then trying to find another <laughs> job. And they're, they were jumping around between, you know, supermarket um, jobs and working on hotel um, fronts or coffee shops. And it's much, much tougher for them. Um, and although I was, you know, I was being paid a fairly junior wage towards the start of my career, it was still yeah. a lot con- in comparison to sort of what some of my friends were earning. So that gave me the, a bit of a, um sort of a more of a support bubble in terms of you know, being able to afford food and things like that on top which is um, <laughs> a, a, a luxury that you know some of the guys generally st- struggled with um wow. <laughs> so yeah rock and roll and all that um you still find time to rock out i'm not rocking out as much as i used to no <laughs> um Honestly, I really struggled to pick up my um, guitar now. I've got an electric drum kit downstairs, which I still play, but I, I played guitar in the band. And honestly, I'd love to play it more. And I keep just struggling to motivate myself to do so. <laughs> but it's, it's the, there's no excuses, really, uh, apart from, you know, having a, having a bigger life. I think when the band ended, I really went against playing music and just was trying to make up for the lost time in terms of, socializing and going yeah. out and seeing people because i had so many years of having no time to do that that kind of thing um yeah that makes sense yeah it's interesting i i could draw parallels to things that i've done but i don't think it's quite as intense as yours like when i was doing my phd when i finished it i had to finish like all of the um i had to finish my phd while working which was really tough and i had to basically every night after work do more work 
which is yeah, yeah, it's difficult as hell to do. I didn't do it for years. I did it for a couple of months, <laughs> and even that I thought was really tough. So, yeah, uh, I, I yeah, get you. I, I mean, I, I enjoyed you know all of it, so it wasn't yeah, you know, it, it, it was intense in terms of um, you know, timelines and amount of time we were spending, but it was it was still fun at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> Although it was exhausting, but um. fair enough. Um, right, shall we talk about the next section of the podcast, which is food? So, did oh, you did you bring food. did you bring your favorite gusto meal? I have, yeah. I have ah, what is it? Okay, so I mean, I I went through all my recipe cards I've had so far, and you know, without sounding like i'm promoting gusto too much yeah there's so there's so many good ones to choose from um do you want me to tell you what i picked in the end go on yeah so i picked this it's the, it's a hearty lamb ragu gnocchi bake Ooh. Ooh, I and there's a that. yeah it, it's uh I'll, I'll show you no one listening will be able to see it but um <laughs> it's this delicious one and there's there's a couple of reasons that I picked this one. Um, one because there's two things here. One is that I don't think I really discovered the how much I love minced lamb until signing up to Gusto. It's just not something I ever bought from supermarkets before. You know, yeah. making bolognese and chilies, I buy minced beef all the time, um, but would never ever think. I've always loved lamb, but never think to buy minced lamb. And there's a lot of meals on the on gusto recipes which have minced lamb and they're all delicious in my opinion i think it's i think it's amazing um and the other side of that is gnocchi as well that's not something <laughs> i'd ever have thought to buy from a shop before mm. starting a gusto but there's there, there are quite a lot of recipes with it and it was something my girlfriend was skeptical about when we first ordered an, a gnocchi meal but we were trying to get buy as much variety as possible and now we pretty much every, every time there's something with gnocchi on the menu we always order it because because i don't know you know it is just you know it's, it's kind of like having a pasta dish but obviously you know a bit more of that kind of potatoy taste but yeah i don't know it's, it's just delicious and i think <laughs> what, what the meals that you know the recipe um developers come up with around those two ingredients i just think are all i've never been disappointed um i so definitely this, agree with you yeah and the, the lamb dishes especially are brilliant. I've, I've, I've definitely had this recipe. It's in my it's in my cookbook. So I've definitely had this one. So it's probably delicious. <laughs> I think the fact that this one, obviously, like I say, it's a lamb ragu gnocchi bake. I mean, that you know, it, it's just also with loads of cheese um, and you know, <laughs> mel melted cheese as well mixed into it, which makes everything taste good. Um, <laughs> I know this oh. isn't a, a, a good advertisement for any vegans listening, but you know cheese and lamb is <laughs> my god it's amazing uh, um, uh to be fair i've also chosen a gnocchi recipe because i've gone with the all-in-one chicken and gnocchi calcio e pepe i think it's called which ooh. was delicious that was that was a chicken gnocchi dish um and gusto uses soft cheese um quite a lot to kind of mm. like create this really creamy base for the like dish and this 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 was a bake as well, so it was also a pasta bake that we put in in the oven, and it was absolutely delicious. Like it was so so good. The the cream and the chicken and the gnocchi, it was delicious. Yeah, I really loved that. And I don't a big think I had that one. 
I'm a big chicken thigh fan as well. Like chicken breast is good, but I always think that chicken thigh is uh, just a nicer meat. <laughs> so it's I've, so underrated, isn't it? It is underrated, yeah. And I think people knock it quite a lot. Even in uh, some of the Gusto customers, I've definitely seen that people aren't a big fan of the chicken thighs, but I'm not sure why, because I think it's great. But yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think it's just people, you know, it doesn't look as pure, you know, people, I think people in the UK love things to look like clean and pure, you know, in it's terms true, of you, yeah. want, you want a, you know, on a perfect looking banana or you want a perfect looking ve- vegetables. And I think it, the same thing applies to chicken, you know, chicken <laughs> breasts look so sort of smooth and pure if you buy like a nice one, whereas you know, thighs are all bobbly and skin on them and all this kind of stuff sometimes. But that's true. Um, to be fair, I don't think I ever used to buy many chicken thighs again my, my girlfriend does it she when she when she used to make um you know a curry she'd often do it with chicken thighs mm. and just like i don't know just put them in the oven they just get so juicy they do yeah yeah it's i think that's where they're best as well it's like when you slow bake chicken thighs they definitely taste the best that way i don't i don't think that frying them is quite as good i don't actually think mm. i've seen many dishes that do fry chicken thighs generally you'd fry chicken breast i'm not sure if there's a reason for that but yeah I had one for lunch. Um, it's got time. I had a gusto meal for lunch today with chicken thighs. I'm going to find what it was because it was amazing. Um, <laughs> it was. It was. It, it sounds kind of basic. It sounds like a chicken, vegetable, and potatoes. Right. It's the bah baharat. I don't know how you say that, but b a h a r a t. Chicken with batata hara and sumac yogurt. Lots of words I don't know how to say, <laughs> but it, basically it was chicken thighs with um, broccoli and potatoes. But the different spices and the different herbs that were used to go into it were all flavors that I were really was really not that familiar with, and just every taste was just just blew my mind. It was just so delicious. I have um, actually got that recipe that I was going to cook today, but I've oh, really? loomy instead of chicken thighs. <laughs> Mm, I mean, you'll still get the flavors. Yeah, exactly. You'll still get all the flavors. And that was the most impressive thing. So let me know. Let me know what you think of that. (laughs) Yeah, I will. Um, Can you guess? Because I had a look before uh, this interview. Can you guess what cluster you're in? Do you know already? I don't know. I've I've never looked and I've never been told. Uh, wait, I should um, give some context as well. If, if anyone's listening for the first time, we we have kind of these different clusters um, that we put users into. It doesn't necessarily mean that user only buys recipes from that cluster. It's just kind of a general indication that we are serving people who um, buy in that way, in, in the right way, and we're giving them enough variety. Um, so the clusters are, uh, we have this American beef cluster. We have a chicken Asian cluster. We have a healthy fish cluster, vegan vegetarian cluster, and uh, a northern European cluster and a southern European cluster. Um, and I think we're soon thinking of changing them, but yeah, to be decided. Which one do you think you're in? So I would probably, my gut feeling says Asian chicken, because although I don't normally pick a lot of chicken dishes necessarily, we do tend to have like, you know, I'll always try and get, get some sort of curry and something different every time or um, like a Vietnamese or like a Thai or anything around that will definitely make it onto my um, recommended list. But having said that, I will, I will often buy, pick like a lamb or a, or a beef. Um, so I don't know if that would pull me out of the cluster. But my, guess, my guess would be Asian chicken. That's interesting. 
That's interesting because I didn't get you down as that unless I've got the wrong one. Because I put you down as healthy fish. That's what I found in the clusters. Does that sound wrong? Ooh, interesting. Um, you think you've ordered many fish dishes or many like 10 minute meal dishes or prepped in five dishes, which can put you in there like healthy fish. I would say I'd be surprised. Um, we definitely do. I mean, we went through a stage where we'd always try and get one fish dish a week. But I feel like we've fallen out of that pattern oh, but, a little uh, bit. So maybe uh, um, maybe it's from previous um, mm, orders then, and, because sometimes our orders go quite our uh, clustering goes quite far back. Maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe. And also, um, Kate won't often let me get like the really greasy burgers. Um, <laughs> so she and because because we do sometimes have them for lunch and things like that as well. You know, we we do tend to look at try and get healthier ones. I mean. I, I didn't really care too much, but um, I think in general, we probably steer towards more healthy options. Um, yeah. So, yeah, probably a little bit of a surprise, but um, I, I, I can kind of understand. Maybe I'll double, maybe I'll double check it, you know, who, who knows? I'm, I'm not sure, totally sure now. <laughs> From what you've described, it doesn't sound quite right, but oh, oh well, oh well. I'll show. Um, I'll send you the, the, the list of my, my the, the, some of the recent things I bought, and you can you can tell me whether that looks like a, health, a healthy fish for any reason. <laughs> um, right. Shall we move on to some news? Because I think uh, Gusto's actually had some pretty big announcements recently. Um, two two of which I think are like worth uh, mentioning. One is that Gusto is now a B Corp, which is pretty cool. Um, and the other is that we are releasing our Christmas boxes soon, which so like for the Christmas period, I think the, they're releasing these uh, Christmas boxes, which will be ready in an hour, which is pretty awesome as well. But yeah, I mean, the, the B Corp thing, I think is pretty big. Like I didn't really know about it um, before like Gusto got involved. Um, but I heard mm. from a lot of people who, you know, a lot of my friends and uh, so on, like they said that it's a really big deal and they, they wouldn't have even bought from a company that wasn't B Corp in some circumstances, which I didn't, wasn't really aware was a big thing, but apparently it is. Yeah, <laughs> I, it feels like it's growing as a factor more. I, I, think, I, I think I first heard about B Corp, you know, only in the last couple of years properly or looked into properly because I've seen a few other companies, you know, get that status. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's amazing. I'm I'm super happy that Gusto have gone for that. It really solidifies the fact that you know where their you know focus is and their intentions are. Um, my girlfriend works in um, sort of sustainable sustainability in recruitment and works for a lot of those companies, uh, and she has explained it to me a little bit. And you know, I'm, I'm, I can't pass on any of that knowledge now. But you know, it, it is it's a lot. Of, it's what a lot of people are either. A lot of a lot of people now looking to move to new companies are looking for that status as like a people individually want to work for a company that they can trust to be not evil, I guess. Mm. Um, <laughs> and it's quite it's quite a glaring badge to show you know that company is committed to a certain level of sustainability and diversity and basically just being making the leaving the the world a better place, which I think is just more and more important to everyone, is it? Is it not? Yeah, I, de- I think there's definitely been a massive focus on it recently, especially with, you know, climate change and, and everything uh, that's going on there. I think, yeah, Gusto, and Gusto's always made a commitment to trying to improve things. 
by their packaging, they've always tried to try and make sure that as, as much as possible, the packaging that they use can be recycled. I think like all, almost everything is, is recyclable. Um, and they've always kind of made that commitment and tried to push everyone in the company to think about how they can be more sustainable. So I think that it's that Gusto definitely deserves um, the B Corp status. And yeah, it's really good to see as well and, and see other companies like taking it on. Um, I think it is getting more and more important. Yeah, and as more companies commit to this, more as more big companies commit to it, you know, other companies are going to have to follow suit because there'll be another one of these factors, you know, one in recruitment because people won't, won't want to join companies if they're, they're not committed to a certain level of, um, you know, addressing climate change, etc. Um, but also because, you know, it's a bit of an individual badge of honour, I think, as well, to say you're contributing uh, you, or you're not, you're not contributing in the same way to you know our planet's destruction um <laughs> <clears throat> maybe that's uh yeah an over exaggeration again but um with a company like gusto that's growing so fast and is doing very well um you know with all people working from home or remotely there they don't have to be they, they really don't have to be thinking about you know some of the things that bcop forces them to think about right now they yeah. they you know they probably have a lot of people you know, they're growing fast, their profits are increasing. It's good for them at this point in their journey to say, no, we are, you know, taking this seriously. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with you, definitely. Um, hopefully, we'll, we'll keep pushing to be more and more sustainable. Because um, I think, uh, you know, if, if more people take on a, or take on a product like Gusto where it is sustainable, then everyone will benefit in the end, you know. <laughs> um, speaking of which, do you think you're gonna get a Gusto box over Christmas? <laughs> Are you gonna try out one of these one hour? Are you gonna try out one of the one hour Christmas meals? That's that's the real question. So I need to see. I mean, I'm going. I'm going. I'm spending Christmas in America, so I probably won't oh, get the wow. chance. Yeah, Kate's got family over there, so I'm gonna go and fly over there and be in New York for New Year's Eve, and it should be pretty cool. Um, but I've seen them. I've seen these Christmas boxes. They look pretty good, to be fair. I think they are available a couple of weeks before Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Or the two, the two menu weeks leading up to Christmas. So, yeah, I might still be able to squeeze one in before I go. And I definitely will if I can, uh, even if it's like a Tuesday night, Tuesday night on like the <laughs> 17th, 17th of December, have a Christmas dinner. That's I'll, nice I'll time for it. Have, yeah, I'm more than happily have you know 10 christmas dinners leading up to christmas you might as well really go for it yeah i definitely want to try them like i think that they're they're really interesting if you can do the whole thing in an hour that's that's pretty impressive so i think i think we're going to give it a go for sure have you ever, have you ever Chris, cooked christmas dinner yourself no no i haven't uh, i i do all the other cooking but me and uh my girlfriend have an agreement that she does uh roasts and I do all the gusto meals. So I cook like four days a week. And she, she cooks one, but she cooks a very good meal. So, you know, I never complain. Do you, do you, have, do you have a Sunday roast every week then? Well, no, <laughs> not, not in summer, no. But I think we're, we, we do have them quite a lot, to be fair. Very, very traditional British thing to do, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've been trying to do it more. I think there's, I mean, I love having a, a roast on a Sunday. Um, and, and there's, there's different types of roast you can have as well, right? You, n- you don't always have to do the full thing with all the trimmings. You can do like a roast chicken with yeah, a simplified roast. 
Simplified um, roast, yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking. At, I'm just looking at the, the picture of the um, the gusto roast now. Turkey dinner with all the trimmings. It looks. It looks pretty full on. Is that like stuffing in the middle of the chicken as well? Oof. That looks Oof, delicious. It's making, me, it's making me hungry. We shouldn't be doing yeah. the, uh, this so late. You know, talking about food. <laughs> I know it's, it's getting towards time to eat. <laughs> um, right. Um, let's uh, just do one more question and then we'll leave it there. Um, because I think we, we're going good. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it would just be good if you could, you know, maybe in, in one word, how would you summarize Ooh. your experience at Gusto if you can do it in one word? <laughs> no, I can do it in one word. <laughs> I wanted to bring a challenge to the last question, you know. <laughs> get, get, let me just grab a dictionary. Um, <laughs> I think... Um, I think... I'd say challenging but in like a really rewarding way. Yeah, um, yeah. I know that's not one word, but challenging. <laughs> challenging it's, sounds super negative. It's, it's one word with context. I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> challenging in a rewarding way. I think, um, you know, what we're doing, um, you know, even just think about our team in terms of trying to use data science to build better uh, menus, a better variety it's obviously such a core part to the business. It's so important. It's, it's almost our core product, apart from, you know, we're not making, making actual, designing actual food, but to design what's on the menu that the customers choose every week, I think it's so important. And it's, it's, we're not doing something that every other business is doing. We're taking a very bespoke problem for Gusto and kind of have Greenfield sort of um, blue sky thinking around it to just think about how can we solve these problems and, and in the best way we can. Um, and I love the challenge aspect of that. I love that it's not simple. Uh, I love that we have to really work our brains each day to think of solutions to problems. Um, and I love that it's so closely aligned with the success of the business as well. Um, so nice, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's a good loss of context for your one word. I think that was cheating <laughs> slightly, but <laughs> no, it makes sense. I, I, think, I think I agree with you. <laughs> yeah you can you can you can edit all my waffle out afterwards if you want to just leave it just leave it as challenging and just the podcast <laughs> roll roll credit and that was it for us um but yeah actually on that note we we will end it um yeah it's, it's brilliant to have you josh thank you for coming on and yeah hopefully Thanks. we'll uh hear well everyone will hear us next time please come back enjoy more of the gusto tech podcast thank you very Thanks, much Joe. Thank you.